0: father gives us moments and times of joy, but it's like what Joseph said. It's like, you know what? There's going to be seven years of plenty. Now during that seven years of plenty, man, there's going to be joy and all of that, but there's going to be seven years of famine. That's going to be so severe. The seven years of plenty will not be remembered. Here's a nugget for you. Don't ever forget the seven years of plenty. No matter how severe the famine gets, remember the one who brought seven years of plenty. Why? Because if you can remember the one who did it, then just as he did it, he can do it again. He can do it again. And this is the thing that we see from the patriarchs, from those of old and what father constantly, you know, when I look at how many times father told the children of Israel to remember, to remember, to remember. Why did God remember so much? You need to remember these things because there's gonna be some stuff that's gonna come at you that if you don't intentionally remember, you're gonna forget. And when you forget those things, you forget about the one who did those things. Forgetting, it will cause you to take your life into your own hands. When you forget, it will cause you to take care of matters your way. When you forget, you forget him and if you forget him, you certainly ain't acknowledging it. He says, remember, remember, remember. And I encourage you, you got to remember the things that Father has done. And take time to enjoy the things that he gives you the ability to enjoy while they are enjoyable. And there are times, brothers and sisters, that he gives us opportunities to enjoy what he has done in the midst of us. And if you look at how He has saved you, delivered you, brought you through some things, and now here you are going through some stuff, just reflect on the things He's brought you through. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Abraham, the first person referred to as a Hebrew in Scripture, was given the promise to become the father of many nations. Abraham never became a nation. However, through Abraham's son Isaac and then Isaac's son Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel by Jehovah, the promise given to Abraham takes shape. Long before the sons of Israel became the Hebrew nation of Israel, a Hebrew ruled the nation of Egypt, in which Israel grew to become a nation. Today, We continue the remarkable story of how Jehovah promoted a Hebrew named Joseph, a descendant of Abraham, to become the ruler of Egypt and thereby fulfill two biblical prophecies. Today's study title is When a Hebrew Ruled Egypt. So, let's study. Our message title today is When a Hebrew Ruled Egypt. Now, you remember last week as we were dealing with an Egyptian, a Hebrew, and Jehovah, where Joseph was summoned by Pharaoh, and Pharaoh had the stream, and Joseph, by the power of Jehovah's Spirit, was able to interpret Pharaoh's dream, indicating that. Pharaoh had been shown by Jehovah the things that he was about to do, and how he revealed it to Joseph so he could communicate it to Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh heard the things that Joseph had spoken, as far as the interpretation, the unique thing about what Father did is he not only revealed to Pharaoh what he was about to do, but he also revealed to Pharaoh what Pharaoh needed to do. And what he revealed to Pharaoh, in essence, brought salvation to the whole world, as we'll see in this teaching tonight. Now, before I go there, because of that statement, understand something. Salvation in the New Testament has taken on a different meaning than salvation in the Old Testament. When it came to salvation in the Old Testament, it literally meant, to be delivered out of harm, to be saved from calamity. It wasn't so much connected to being saved to go to heaven as it has been made out to be by churches and denominations today. And so when you see salvation in many ways, it even state that that word salvation, if you look it up in, the Hebrew in certain places where it's used is translated into the word Yeshua. Yeshua. Yehovah is my Yeshua or Yehovah is my salvation. And again, the salvation, it really dealt with being saved from calamity, being saved from death, being saved from your enemies and so on and so forth. And so in verse 39 and, And we're going to pick up back in verse 39. I know we went over this last week. It says, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has shown thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. And so he used this term discreet and wise. Now, remember, Pharaoh had called his wise men. (laughs) He had called his magicians and they had come and they could not tell Pharaoh what his dreams meant. All of Pharaoh's wise men and magicians could not interpret the dream Jehovah gave Pharaoh because father had chosen his own man whom he gave his spirit as recognized by Pharaoh. When he said this about Joseph, Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this is, a man and notice his words in whom the spirit of God is now based on what had happened because understanding the Egyptian culture, understanding the fact that he called his wise men, that he called his magicians and within that wise men and possibly within that term magician, the priests of the various gods that were doing Service, and we're going to see that he gives Joseph a wife that is the daughter of one of the priests. And so Pharaoh had these wise men, he had these magicians, he had these priests, he had individuals doing service in the various temples to the various gods because Egyptians observed many different gods. In Romans, and I believe that, you know, as Paul is reflecting back, on his understanding of the things that father did in days of old, he wrote, for you see your calling brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath he chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now I can tell you this, that it took me many, many years to finally come to this particular passage, but I, I wish I knew this when I was first called because the tendency is to look to those people who have been at this longer than others. And this is natural in any particular case or or profession, unless of course you, you fall in the category of a fool. When you go into an environment, it's only natural to assess the environment that you're in, to see how things work. Whether it be in a profession, you want to be mentored by somebody who is, who knows the profession. You want to sit at the feet of the learned, the wise. But I'll tell you in religion, what you'll find is there are those who front. I don't know how else to say it other than to say they front, they take a title and they want you to see them a certain way. But when the spirit of the almighty is working with you, there are times he will reveal to you things that they in their pride and their arrogance can't even see. But our tendency, because we may be the lowest seniority, or we may not have been walking this path for a while, or, or we, we don't know as much. It doesn't matter how much, you know, if you've got him, it doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are. If you have his spirit, because what Pharaoh speaks about in this passage after he has called all of his wise men, all of his magicians, and they couldn't speak to him about what he had dreamed. And he called this individual. We're going to see that Joseph was pretty much despicable. Now, we know what the Bible says about him is how father gave him favor and elevated him. But the way he was viewed by the Egyptians was not in a good light. And so imagine that the Egyptians know that this man has been brought in on a slave ship. Now, it wasn't a slave ship in in the sense of a ship as far as water. But, you know, when it comes down to spaceships, how many of you know spaceships have nothing to do with water? And these big airships, you know, called airplanes. (laughs) Well, these caravans, Joseph had been brought into Egypt in a caravan as a slave. And now the word is out that he likes, you know, Egyptian women, especially important Egyptian women. Now, here's here's this Hebrew (laughs) who's been brought into Egypt. And he got an eye for Egyptian women, right? Which is what caused him, he was in prison. If we were to look at it today, we would say that Joseph would be on the list of individuals who have committed sexual crime. See, he would be in that database, (laughs) right? And so now he's in prison. And from this, Here he is before Pharaoh, and he's about to be made the ruler over the land. How many of you have heard the term viceroy? Let's see your hand if you have. You know, I look for that word in the Bible, and if you can find it in the Bible, please show it to me. I I like to see that word in the Bible because, you know, if it's in the Bible, then I can continue to use it but I've been taught most of my life that Joseph was a viceroy. And when I look up the word viceroy, I see an English definition of it, but I don't find it in the Hebrew scriptures. And I'm just trying to understand how it got into my spirit, into my system, into my vernacular, into my tongue. When I'm referring to Joseph, So I found that I I have to purge it (laughs) unless somebody can find it in the Bible and reveal it to me. Show me where it's at and I can see it. Then I'll reinstate it. (laughs) But right now it's on the purge list. And the reason is, is because of the definition of it and how it causes one to see scripture based on the definition of the word. So Pharaoh put Joseph over his house and Joseph ruled over all the people. You see, according to the psalmist, Joseph was Lord over Pharaoh's house. Now he was Lord over Pharaoh's house, just not Pharaoh. So everything in Pharaoh's house, Joseph Lorded over. Joseph had the authority. He was ruler over all of Pharaoh's substance. He had authority to bind the princes and teach the senators wisdom. This is what the Psalmist said. We looked at this last week. I thought it worth repeating today. Psalms 105, 17. He, Jehovah, sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters and was laid in iron. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. So what did he do? It wasn't um Potiphar's wife who tried Joseph. It was Jehovah who tried Joseph with Potiphar's wife. You see, there's circumstances it's the Almighty who puts us in positions to be tested to show us what's in our heart. Because I I'll, I'll tell you something brothers and sisters as I've stated this and I I mentioned you know I had a an apostle who once Told me in these words, there are things that various individuals over the course of my life have said that have stuck. And this one stuck that when father gives a test, it's not with paper and ink. I believe that we're constantly being tested by the circumstances that come at us. The thing that we must always remember is no matter what comes at us, father is in it with us no matter what comes at us, father is in it with us. And it is at that moment. We should be acknowledging him, not after the fact, but at that moment, we should be acknowledging him because in that moment, something is coming at us and we are going to choose a way. The Bible says that we are to acknowledge him in all our ways. So if we're going to choose a way to respond based on what's coming at us and we don't acknowledge him, then that's saying we're not recognizing that he is in it with us. There are times when we feel like we're in what we're in by ourselves. And we see this throughout the thread of scripture in the lives of so many people that we're going through something and we feel like we're alone. We feel like nobody else knows, nobody else understands, nobody else can feel what we're feeling, nobody else has ever had to deal with this particular issue, and we're trying to figure out how to respond and how to deal with this thing that has come at us when we've got the wisest counsel right there with us that many times we don't even acknowledge. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house, ruler of his substance. Not just some of his substance. The psalmist says ruler of all his substance. Ruler of all his substance. Now, when you think about viceroy, you have to think something like vice president. You have to think about somebody who's got his own office or her own office or somebody who is, he's second in command. Well, how many of you know, we're going to see today, Pharaoh didn't put Joseph second in command. Pharaoh put Joseph in command. He made him ruler over everything other than him. (laughs) The only thing that Joseph didn't have rule over was Pharaoh, but he had rule over everything else. Rule over all of his house, ruler over all the cities, ruler over all the land, ruler over all the people. And when people came to Pharaoh, Pharaoh sent them to who? Joseph. He said, verse 40, this is Pharaoh talking, you shall be over my house. And according to your word, <laughs> according to your word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than you, but you have ruler over all my, over my house and over all my people. That's a powerful statement right there. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, see, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Now this doesn't sound like somebody who's been given second in command. This sounds like somebody who's been given command over everything. And we're going to see it's not just in word, but Pharaoh is going to carry this out. Pharaoh appointed Joseph ruler over all the land of Egypt. And over all the people of Egypt, even those in his house. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. This to me is a powerful statement, not so much the vesture and the gold chain, but Pharaoh gave Joseph his ring. He didn't just give him a ring, he took the authority off of his hand. And put it on Joseph's hand. He didn't give Joseph a a vice president ring. (laughs) He didn't give him a viceroy ring. He gave him his ring. And he made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. Now, Now, notice something here, because this is significant. He made him to ride in the second chariot. So whenever Joseph was with Pharaoh, he rode in the second chariot. But what about when Joseph wasn't with Pharaoh? Because he's going to leave and he's going to go into all the cities over all the land. And it's just Joseph. And they cried before him, bowed the knee and he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Who was ruler over all the land of Egypt? Joseph. Now this phrase "bow the knee" is a word which is, you know, it comes from two words: "avrak" or "avrek" or "abrekus," av "abrekus." Some would call it, and it's got a, a variety of meanings. And I just wanted to bring some of these out because, in one sense, the two words of means father, "brek" means tender. It is identified as tender father versus bow the knee. The phrase for bow the knee comes from the ancient Egyptian word, meaning King father in Aramaic. It means father in wisdom and the Hebrew takes on the Coptic and comes with tender father. And so you can look that up, you know, in the, in the various. Uh, Helps that you have, and you'll see one or all of these phrases. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Now it doesn't mean that the people didn't bow, but in one version it says, When Joseph would come, they shouted, Arak, identifying Joseph as king, father, or king, or father, or tender one in one uh, definition it talked about he was a father but because of tender being young he was a young father because remember now how Joseph was when he began to rule Egypt 30 years old he was a young man and Pharaoh said unto Joseph I am Pharaoh and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot <laughs> Now, notice what he says. If Pharaoh says unto Joseph, Now, I'm Pharaoh, but without you, no man <laughs> shall lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah And he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. And Joseph went out all over the land of Egypt. Now I want you to notice something, some translators. And I noticed this as I was looking at different commentaries that some translators and commentaries confused Potiphera with Potiphar. And so you may look at, especially if you're looking at some of the Hebrew information, you may even find some of this in some of the writings Of uh, Hebrew Talmudic writings, rabbinic writings, that they say that Potiphar and Potipharah was one in the same. I even read one that Potiphar was actually a priest in the sense that he was from a Hebrew line, in a sense. And so, because it's difficult for some people to identify the fact that Joseph married an Egyptian, because after all, you got to know that later on in history, when it came down to the blessings of the sons, and in most Hebrew blessings, especially those in Messianic Judaism, those in Messianic Hebrew roots, you'll find that a prayer over the sons would be may he make you like Ephraim and Manasseh may Jehovah make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Now if Ephraim and Manasseh is the sons of a woman who is an Egyptian, but then they could ignore the fact that Asenath was Egyptian because when she married Joseph, she became Hebrew. You see, And therefore, from a biblical reference would state that Ephraim and Manasseh would get their identity from the Hebrew father. But most people know today that if a person wanted to make Aliyah to the land of Israel, they had to prove they were Jews, that their mom was a Jew, that their identity would be identified with the mother not with the Father. And I'll just let you deal with that. But I just find it interesting. Zaphnath Panea, an Egyptian name. So now he's got an Egyptian name. The interlinear concordance translates the word to treasury of the glorious rest. But there are other translations. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scripture, the Septuagint defines this Egyptian word to mean savior of the age. Savior of the age. The Coptic, the Egyptian Coptic signifies the word means a revealer of secrets or the man to whom secrets are revealed. And so here again, it appears that the Hebrews interpret the form from the Coptic of the word in Hebrew to revealer of secrets. And so here in the Bible where we have what is a Egyptian word, not with an Egyptian definition, but with a Hebrew definition. And so when a people take a word and give it a definition, they can literally change the meaning of the word based on the definition they apply or assign to it. And what's really interesting today is words are being messed with on a variety of levels. You know, I was having a conversation with my wife. There's a a minister that I know uh, who did a teaching on the difference between cussing and cursing. And in some ways, society today is trying to dumb down the word cussing so that it can be acceptable as normal talk by taking it out of the realm of the profane or profanity and certainly disconnecting from anything that's relating to curse to make it normal. So the world is trying to normalize things that used to be profane. Just as they're trying to normalize things that used to be illegal. Alcohol used to be a controlled substance. Now it's a legal substance. Marijuana used to be a controlled substance. Still is in some states but in many states is taken out of the control substance as a narcotic and made for everyday use. In other words, normalize it. And this is exactly what the world would try to do is to normalize sin, to normalize the things that father may have issue with so that it is socially acceptable. And the more things that become normalized, Those of us who still consider it to be immoral become the immoral ones. So evil becomes good and good becomes evil. This is what's happening in society today. And if we intermingle with society on a regular common basis, we become like the society we intermingle with. Which is one of the reasons why Father wanted his people to be separate from the world. Which is why he says, "Come out from among them and be ye separate." And on evil communications corrupt good character. You could be a person of good character, interact with people who are not of good character, and your good character gets corrupted. Asenath, belonging to the goddess Neth, her dad was the priest of On, and On meaning strength or vigor was a city in lower Egypt bordering land of Goshen. And it was the center of sun worship. So these were individuals who worshiped the sun. Verse 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now here, what does it say? Joseph now, went out from Pharaoh now while Joseph was with Pharaoh he rode in the second chariot but when Joseph went out from Pharaoh he was in first chariot throughout all the land of Egypt Joseph ruled Egypt beginning at the age of 30 Joseph died at the age of 110 and this is what it says in Genesis fifty 26. I'm jumping way ahead. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, when did Joseph stop ruling? <laughs> when, it, when did he stop ruling? So if, if he started ruling when he was 30, he died when he was 110. Then Joseph most likely could have ruled from 14 to 80 years. That's a long time. Now in our mind, the way we have been groomed to think that 14 years, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And that was it for Joseph. But to think that way beyond those 14 years that Joseph would still be ruling. Do we even allow our minds to go in that place? And in the seven plenteous years, verse 47, the earth brought forth by handfuls and, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the flood or laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city laid he up in the same. Now, how many of you know, Joseph wasn't laying all this food up. The food was being laid up, but not necessarily physically by Joseph. Joseph had offices. He had people. Joseph had storehouses all over the land in every city. And officers appointed to collect the food and probably sell it because when he spoke to Pharaoh about what he was supposed to do, this is what he said, let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land. So Joseph appointed officers over the land and these officers took up the fifth part of the land of Egypt during the seven plenteous years. And Joseph gathered corn. Now that word corn, we get the word grain as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering for it was without number. Now we're going to see as we read further through Genesis, we're going to see that although there was a famine, there was food, there was food in the land. There was just no grain. Now grain was an essential part of the diet because of bread and other things that were done with the grain. But how many of you know, the date trees kept producing date. The fruit trees kept producing fruit. The nuts, the almonds, they continued to grow. Because we're going to find that in the midst of the famine, when Jacob sends the children up to get food, lest they die, he's going to give them instructions to take the best fruit in the land, with nuts and honey up to Egypt. Now they're going up to get food, but they're taking stuff with them when they go up. Interesting. The word there, corn, is grain. It could include what we call kernel corn or maize, as it is called in some places, but it's, typically ground into a flour, ground into a meal, made bread and other types of products. And so in verse 49, as we read, by the time Joseph stopped counting, it is safe to conclude that he had gathered seven years worth. Why? Because there was going to be seven years of famine. Now, if Joseph is calculating as he has been given the instructions by the almighty to reveal to Pharaoh what he was going to do, then it would only make sense that Joseph would be able to assess how much grain Egypt goes through. And as he is collecting, it gets to the point to where he's got enough for Egypt to the point to where he just stopped counting how much grain he got, because I would dare say he at least had Seven years worth. In verse 50, and unto Joseph was born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bare unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said, He hath made me forget all my toil, trouble, and all my father's house. Now notice what he says, For God said, He he called him Manasseh, which indicates that Father gave him the name Manasseh and saying, This is why I want you to call your son Manasseh. I know you've been going through some stuff. I know that even, you know, even as we read, it's like, Listen, I'm not supposed to be here. I was taken from my land. I was sold unjustly as a slave. I've been treated unjust. And you know how you carry this stuff with you? And Father's saying, Listen, all that's true, but you've passed the test. Here's Manasseh. Now, I want you to forget about the toil, forget about the trouble, forget about what your brothers did, forget about how you was rejected by your father, because later on, father is going to reveal to Joseph about the dream when his brothers come. So Father is orchestrating all of these things. And if we stick close to him, even while we're going through the stuff that we're going through, he'll reveal to us at some point as we effectively, humbly endure the things that he's bringing to us. Okay, you did good on that one. Good job. Just like when we don't do good, we get convicted. And you know what's really sad? and I have to get over some stuff myself is that we harbor on our mistakes. We beat ourselves up over the things we don't get right. It's hard sometimes to focus on the things we do get right because then you think, okay, that's not humility, but you got to remember the stuff It's like everything you do ain't wrong. There's some things you get right and you have to remember You do some things right, no matter what anybody say. You know, because people say, you always. It's like, no, you know, I don't always. There may be some times I do, but not always. Come on now. Every time. No, it's not every time. Come on. You ever hear people tell you, you know, you you just always, you always, you every time. (laughs) I've had to straighten some of that out. Because if people say it and and they keep saying it, they'll actually start believing that you always do this. No, you don't. And we got to stop accusing people of always doing stuff and remember that they do stuff right. And we need to compliment them on the things they do right when they do right. So it don't feel like they're always (laughs) poured out. Well, you mess up. It's amazing how, you know, you do good and you don't get a mention. You do bad and you always. (laughs) So Manasseh brought joy to Joseph and caused him to forget all the trouble, the labor and toil, all the unjust treatments he had endured. Now, I would dare say that during that time, because you know as well as I do, that in the midst of things that have happened that seems to consume your thinking that you can have times where those things don't even cross your mind you don't even remember them it's like they're gone and then something happens and then come back and we got to cast those things aside father gives us moments and times of joy but it's, it's like what Joseph said. It's like, you know what? There's going to be seven years of plenty. Now, during that seven years of plenty, man, there's going to be joy and all of that. But there's going to be seven years of famine that's going to be so severe, the seven years of plenty will not be remembered. Here's a nugget for you. Don't ever forget the seven years of plenty. No matter how severe the famine gets, remember the one who brought seven years of plenty. Why? Because if you can remember the one who did it, then just as he did it, he can do it again. He can do it again. And this is the thing that we see from the patriarchs, from those of old and what father constantly. You know, when I look at how many times father told the children of Israel to remember, to remember, to remember, why did God remember so much? You need to remember these things because there's going to be some stuff that's going to come at you that if you don't intentionally remember, you're going to forget. And when you forget those things, you forget about the one who did those things. Forgetting, it will cause you to take your life into your own hands. When you forget, it will cause you to take care of matters your way. When you forget, you forget him And if you forget him, you certainly ain't acknowledging him. He says, remember, remember, remember. And I encourage you, you got to remember the things that father has done and take time to enjoy the things that he gives you the ability to enjoy while they are enjoyable. And there are times brothers and sisters that he give us opportunities to enjoy what he has done in the midst of us. And if you look at, how he has saved you, delivered you, brought you through some things. And now here you are going through some stuff. Just reflect on the things he's brought you through. Verse 52. And the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God has called me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. What does he say? Father has not only caused me to forget the toil, the unjust treatment, But now he's prospering me in the very land that I was unjustly treated in. Ephraim reminded Joseph of how fruitful he had become in the same land he had been afflicted. Verse 53. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So father calls the land, the Hebrew Joseph had been sent to prosper and would cause all the nations to come to Joseph in order to be saved from starvation because of the dearth and famine. And this I find to be something very powerful. Now, theologians will associate Joseph as being savior-like because of this famine that went across the entire earth at that time. Verse 55 says, and when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh. They were crying to the wrong person. But Pharaoh was the king. They cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, go unto Joseph. What he say to you do. Now, Pharaoh has already told the people, right? So what did they do? They seemed to reject Joseph's leadership. That's what it seems like. So he said, when the people cried to Pharaoh for what? For bread. Wait a minute, for corn? No, for bread, food. The people cried to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh sent his people to Joseph. Now I want you to imagine having to go to a person you would not eat with for food to eat. Because this is the irony here. The Egyptians did not look favorably on the Hebrews. Part of her wife spoke of the Hebrew in a derogatory way when she said this Hebrew he brought up in here. When she said in Genesis chapter 39, verse 14, and then 17, she spoke about the Hebrew specifically. Besides Abraham, the only thing a Hebrew had been up to this point in the Egyptian history was a slave and a prisoner. And so Joseph went from a slave to a prisoner to ruler, and yet the Egyptians considered it an abomination to eat with him, a Hebrew. We'll get to this in Genesis 43, when Joseph's brothers came. It says, and they said, verse 32, and they sat on for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians, which did eat with him by themselves. Because the Egyptians might not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. (laughs) I jumped ahead to show you that one that they won't even eat with is ruling over them and providing for them food to eat. And they still got this issue with them. They still got this issue. And this issue carries. Isn't it amazing that father may send you to a people you hate for your own preservation. And now you got to get over your own prejudices. You got to get over your own issues with the people you may not even like for whatever reason you don't like them. And see, I have found, you know, I found over the course of my life why hatred is evil and can cause you to miss out on your blessings. Because what I've seen is that it appears that when you have issue with people, those are the ones, Father, put your blessings in their hands, which means in order to get the things that he has ordained for you, you got to humble yourself. I've seen this happen. I've seen it happen in my life. And it's like, if you've got pride and ego and, and all of these things, whereas. It would be as simple as you going to somebody and asking them for help, but your pride won't allow you to go to that person and ask them. In other words, you'd rather starve, you'd rather die than have to ask them for anything. But you ought to go ahead on and die. And and I'm not trying to be mean or anything, because pride is evil. And pride will cause you to do some wicked things. Father, is the Bible says. That he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Imagine a believer full of pride. They call themselves a believer, but they got pride, don't even know that the one they claim to believe in is resisting them. You have to humble yourself in the presence of the Almighty, and he got ways of humbling you. And for these Egyptians, he's humbling them. They're crying to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's sending them to Joseph. You mean you're going to send me to that Hebrew? You sending me to a Hebrew? Pharaoh, you're the king. <laughs> yep. I'm the king and I have put him in charge. He is a ruler. Now do what he say. Now you're going to see by the time we get to Moses, <laughs> you know, all of this stuff, Is low goal and the people have reverted back to their dislike for people. And father going to have to deal with them again. It was an abomination to the Egyptian to eat with the Hebrew yet. They are being ruled by one. They won't even eat with again. I find that to be very, very ironic. And yet father will choose the base things of this world the foolish things of this world to confound the so-called wise and then verse number 56 and the famine was over all the face of the earth now we don't know what countries existed then, but we know that famine was over all the face of the earth now notice that this is the thing I too I find this very very justy Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold. he wasn't handing out bread to the poor folks. Man don't work. He don't eat. He don't work and produce. He don't eat. He sold. Now the Egyptians has got a cup to this Hebrew to buy food. He sold unto the Egyptians and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. Joseph did not give the food away. Joseph sold the food and through the sale of the food, money came from all nations, (laughs) all the nations, all the people in the earth who wanted grain had to pack up their money bags, take their bags, go to Egypt, exchange money for food in order to live. And so By doing this, now notice, Pharaoh, Joseph didn't say anything in the interpretation of the dream to Pharaoh about selling the food. He said, this is the dream. This is the interpretation. Famine, plenty, famine. Store up seven years. Nothing about selling it. And so here's the thing, though. Egypt prospered in a famine. Now, if you remember reading earlier when we read about Isaac, during a famine, Isaac sowed and in that year, reaped a hundredfold. And let me just say a little bit about this whole economic situation that we have in the world today. Because, you know, there are people who who are making statements. They're saying some things about the food, the world, and there are some issues We're finding that in some parts of the world, food has skyrocketed. I remember uh, hearing on the news that in one place in, I think it was uh, Pakistan or India, I don't remember, one of those places, a box of cereal costs $14. That's if you can get it. That there are stores, shops that couldn't even afford to buy the food to sell it because the people couldn't afford the food at the price they had to buy it and sell it to make a profit. And during times like that, just as I would suspect that during the times like Joseph that, you know, it wasn't about going out there planting seed and trying to get a harvest. What you had is those things that continued to produce year after year, after year, after year, the fruit trees, The nut trees, the vines, those things that just continually to show up year after year if you took care of them. And of course, the crops were probably depleted and diminished because now you got the locusts and the canker worms and you got all kinds of issues going on. But in the midst of all of this, Father reveals his ways of doing things. So even during the time of famine, those who have ears to hear can prosper while everyone else around them may be having difficult time and then become a savior to those who may need help. This is what we're seeing here. Egypt prospered in a famine at the hands of Joseph. And all the countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because that the famine was so sore in all lands. And get this, Joseph the Hebrew not only ruled Egypt, but all the nations from all the countries had to come before Joseph in order to get bread. And therefore all the nations of the world was dependent on this Hebrew who ruled Egypt. Is it any wonder Joseph could be recognized as the Septuagint writes it, the savior, of the age. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free eBooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey on twitter at apostle bailey and you can subscribe to our youtube page at apostle arthur bailey one if you're in the charlotte area please come and fellowship with us we'll do our best to make you feel right at home our address is on our website at the about link under contact us again thank you for joining us and until next time shalom saints